look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. Uh, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall at both campuses, uh, so you don't have to worry. And uh, hey, Lompoc, we are so glad that you're gathered with us today. I'm so thankful for all the reports that I've been getting about what God's doing uh, in and among you there. Maybe you didn't realize that right now, uh, thanks to tech technology, there's a group of people gathered together at 213 North J Street in Lompoc, and they are tuning in to this sermon live. They had live music there and now we're gathered together, one church in a couple locations, amen? And uh, we're so glad that you're joining with us. So whether you're at this campus or at the Lompoc campus, because we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus, and we believe that every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus, amen? amen. That we want to meet with Jesus this morning. And so if you forgot your Bible, uh, I want you to just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible and we have a gift for you. Uh, it's uh, the Word of God and it is in that Bible. And uh, we want you to read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've been in the series for a few weeks, and so I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. It's uh, just past uh, uh, first table of content. Uh, and so look at Genesis 13, and uh, what we try to do here. Uh, every single week is we teach through books of the Bible. And the reason why is we want the Bible to dictate uh, what our theology is, what we believe about God. We don't want a person. We don't want just a pastor. We don't want just a book. We don't want a social media post or just a worship song to decide the greatest um, question that you could ask, which is what do you think about God. And so we want what you think about God, which is theology to be dictated and set as a precedent by the scriptures, not by a pastor, not by any one teacher, but by you seeking out, the Bible says, your own salvation with fear and with trembling, that you would, you would search out the scriptures. And my heart for you is that as you do, uh, I believe that as you look for truth, you'll bump into Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And so we've been endeavoring to do that. And over the past uh, several months, we've been in the book of Genesis. And, and there are many topics that we've uh, discussed and kind of dove into over the past uh, several weeks. And I'll, I'll kind of catch us up in, in some ways here. But I want you to look at, at chapter 13 of the book of Genesis. And you can say amen when you're there. 
And so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into Nagam. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold, and he journeyed on from Nagam as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar uh, at the beginning, or uh, it made an altar at first. I got nervous when I touched my chest and had my glasses on, so uh, bear with me. Uh, uh, you think public speaking is hard. Public reading is a nightmare. Uh, and, and so, uh, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord and Lot went with Abram. Also, he had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go right. Or if you take the right, then I will go left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus the Lord, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. I want you to notice that, underline that. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valleys and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth and the land that I will give you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled the oaks of Mer, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you for your grace today that you would help us in all things seek after you, be challenged and exhorted by you. I thank you for this gathering that we are not a building. The church is not a building. It's not a place. It's a gathering of people. It's a gathering of your body, the ecclesia gathering together. So help us today to encourage one another, to join together and let us supply one another as we are equipped for the work of ministry, the work of ministry to serve our community, to serve our family, to love our neighbors, so that they may see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. So let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. I, I look at this particular passage and there's so many ways to, to 
preach this particular passage. And that's kind of the anxiety, uh, if you will. It, it, as a young pastor, uh, and I'm a lot older than I look, all right? And uh, that used to be a funny joke when you were 27 as the lead pastor, and now I'm, I'm a grown man now, okay? And, uh, and so uh, I... I, I, I would think about what I was going to preach. That's some of the anxiety that we have is getting up every single week. There's going to be people gathered together. We're going to have something clever and, and, and some story that entertains us. And hopefully you're laughed and hopefully you're challenged at some point. You might cry and, and then you leave here and I have to figure out how to do that again next week, right? And sometimes that's the anxiety, right? Pastor Rick, who's been doing it for a long time, you go, man, what do I preach and how do I, how do I preach this particular passage? That's why we started preaching through books of the Bible years ago is I didn't, I didn't want to just deal with like uh, the question of, of what do I preach? Well, I know what I'm preaching. It's Genesis chapter 13. Now I'm figuring out like, how do I preach it? How do I preach it to a group of people that are thousands of years, millennia away from this particular text from a different culture, a different continent? How do we take something that happened way back when, and then somehow make that relevant for us today, but also uh, look at what did it mean then? And what was the truth that God was revealing to us? What was he ultimately pointing to? And last week we began to talk about Abram, this story that we've been introduced to, our father Abraham. And now you realize, how many of you just, just out yourself for the room? How many of you grew up in the church? How many of you were Bible babies and felt bored kids, right? Some of us, uh, I like the rest of you better than the people uh, that, uh, that's a joke, uh, raised their hands. And, uh, and yet well, you, you, you didn't realize where you got the song, right? Father Abraham. All right, knock it off. That's enough, right? That's right, right? See, sometimes what happens is like our theology is dictated by the songs we sing, the nursery rhymes that we have. That's why here at Crossroads, we're endeavoring to write music. You realize some of the songs we sang this morning were our songs, and we're trying to teach that sound theology. Because so, I started thinking, man, I can preach so many sermons, and you can maybe remember one out of the bunch. You can maybe you remember a story, a highlight, but man, songs that you sing. You, 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 you kind of time stamp. How, how many of you time stamp? Stamp your life by the song. You date yourself very quickly, 90s grunge, right? Uh, you start realizing, you, you, you start, your kids start singing you ro rocking to some music. And they're like, what are you guys? They're like, that's old. You're like, that was 2001, right? What are you talking about to listen to the oldies, you know, 98? And, uh, and there's, there's things that we, uh, we teach from particular passages. Passages and some of the uh, oftentimes is in nursery rhymes, in songs. And, and, and sometimes what happens is we get the highlight, we get the note, we get the baseline, we get the melody of it. But we don't realize the complex composition that it takes to make a song, to write a symphony. See, sometimes we can glance over or we can read things over and over and we'll get one note. And then the next time we listen, we go, man, I, I didn't realize that was there 
two, and then you read it again, and you go, man, I didn't realize that that was in there. I, I didn't realize, well, I thought that story was about this. I didn't realize the layers of that. I, I, I love uh, a, a gal in the church who's been around for a really long time from the start of this church, came to my office this past week and was like, Pastor Sam, I, I just love that I've been around the church for so long, and I'm still learning things. Aren't you thankful that God does it? See, the reality is, is you can look at Jesus, you can study the Bible, you can look at the gospel for all of eternity, and you would never plunge the depths of who God is. You might come to my limitations as a pastor, you might butt up against the edges of your intellect, but you will never plunge the depths if you begin to seek. And the Bible says that if you seek him, you will find him. If you search, if you ask, if you knock, the answer is always yes. Let me tell you, that is good news. It is good news that the God of the universe who created all things offers you an invitation. And if your desire is to be with him, if your desire is to know him, if your desire is God, what is your will? The answer from God is always Let's, let's try this again, all right? That was pretty pathetic, all right? And Lompoc, you were with me. I heard you through the speakers, right? And, uh, uh, right, the, the answer is always yes. yes. He'll never refuse himself from you. And this passage kind of brings up for us a question that we often ask. See, uh, this is a famous passage. It's right after God calls Abraham, tells him he'll make him a great nation. He, he, his offspring uh, will be great. He'll break him, make him a great nation. And as he makes him a great nation, and we begin to talk about this, where do nations come from? Nations come from families and families come from man and woman yeah, this goes. I, I don't know if this is new for anybody, uh, but 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 a man meets a woman. He says, "How you doing?" Right, and, and and they get married and they have children, and 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 then all of a sudden they they they're part of a community, and then and then those kids marry kids from down the street, and they they all get together, and all of a sudden you have these communities, you have these groups of people, you have this way of life, the society that goes from man and woman families into nations, and so the inverse is true. When you think about what happens, the destruction of nations, it starts with the destruction of, you're welcome. Right? And so our focus has to shift. Oftentimes we, we look around the world, we, we scan the interwebs, the, we search the bottomless pit that is social media. We go, man, there's something wrong with this society. And we have to have at the church, the Bible says that judgment starts with the house of the Lord. Judgment that we go, you know, we ought to make righteous judgments. We ought to move away from wrong and move into right. We want to move away from evil into good. And we need to care for our families rather than looking what's outside. Let's deal first with what's inside. Jesus says these famous words, who would, would try to get the speck out of his brother's eye before he dealt with the plank in his own. So we've been talking about this as a church, our midweek, uh, this past week on Thursday night, we had men and women and tons of kids and, and it was an amazing time together, but we're starting to endeavor, go, God help us as a community of faith, disciple one 
one another. Help us to gather together. That church is more than just sermons, but it's a group of someones together. Amen. And so you may think you don't need someone, but someone needs you and you have a responsibility here. So we've been talking about nations and, and Abram is, God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then somehow he doesn't realize that maybe his wife was an important part of this gig, right? And so we, we, we read this story about how Abram goes into Egypt and, and his wife, Sarah, great name for a wife. And <laughs> And great, uh, and, and Sarah was beautiful. She she was the one singing to the right, yeah, it was mine, it's mine, right? And uh, and, and yet uh, he Pharaoh and all of Egypt uh, would see that she was a beautiful woman. And Abram comes up with this plot, and he lies and says, "No, no, no! Tell them that you're my sister." Uh, this is preposterous. He goes, maybe they'll let me live. And that's exactly what happens. Abram goes to scheming. What, why? Because God tells him something, but it's hard to believe that God's going to do something great when you're standing in front of what you see in the natural, this Egypt, this, this place that seems so much bigger. And so, I mean, sometimes God gives us something. He drops something in us. He tells us a word, but sometimes what we see in the physical is so much bigger in our mind's eye. And yet that's what happens for Abram. He, he trusts God, but his faith wanes and he starts scheming, trying to do it on his own. That tends to be what we do. We come up with plotting and scheming and, and yet we trust God in some things and in other things, especially in, in these earthly, what is seemingly mundane and trivial things. Oftentimes our faith can wane and Abram's no different than you and I. See, that's good news that the Bible doesn't hide that from us. See, see, a lot of times the comic books and the, the mythology that we read, oftentimes it removes any flaws of the heroes. You notice that all, all these comic book movies, I remember watching back in the day, you watch, watch Batman and Batman seems to never be in the movie. You ever notice this? Like the whole time it's about the bad guy. It's, 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 it really should be called Joker and everybody else and Batman's in there at the end, right? Like because oftentimes we don't show the flaw. We don't see the backside of the flaws of our heroes. Here's what the Bible does not do. The Bible does not remove the flaws of the heroes of faith. And that's good news for you and I. So then when we read the Bible, we go, man, who should I look to? Jesus. Amen. You're welcome. Right? Man, uh, who, who should I emulate? Jesus. Who should I seek after when it comes to my marriage, my family, to be brave and heroic, to be a great leader? Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. And so then the Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. That is good news for a room like this, friends. Right? Because there's a lot of people in this room who've gotten it wrong. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? This guy. Right? How many of you are thankful that God takes all the mess ups, all the mistakes, and somehow turns it for good? I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he takes 
something that is so not supposed to be together, you know, like a maple bacon glazed donut. That's, that should not be so, right? Just does not make sense. I remember the first time I saw this monstrosity. I thought, whoever came up with this is full of the devil, right? Like they say God's country, whatever. And, uh, and yet I, I saw that, uh, something that should not be so. And, and so I think this passage begins to, to point to us something that we've been talking about for some time, which is the sweet and savory the sweet and salty sovereignty of God. That somehow God takes the sweet moments, the good moments, but he also takes the bad moments. He takes the moments that you didn't think you were gonna get over. He takes the moments that you thought we'll never get out of this one. He takes the moment you thought this is the end. He takes the moments where you thought, man, I'll never be able to move forward. He takes the moment that, that you think you cannot get out of and somehow he takes it together and he makes something beautiful. How many of you are thankful for that? And you're like, that's been, that's been my story. I'm thankful for that in my life. Abram is no different. Abram finds himself in mistakes. Abram finds himself trusting God and not trusting God. He finds himself some days standing firm and other days moving out. He finds himself some days being the hero and sometimes being the villain. And yet that's no different than the experience that you and I have. That's why this passage has been going viral. That's why these words in this book have been going viral for thousands of years. Because when we read it, oftentimes we feel like it's reading us more than we're reading it. And so this moment, we're going to see Lot being a hero. We're going to see Lot trusting, or not Lot, we're going to see Abram being a hero and trusting God. The passage we read before, he gets it completely wrong. That's no different than Peter. Peter, one day, Jesus, and you remember this? Jesus is around with his disciples, and he asks this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And they're all starting to come up with the answers, and, and, and they're all over the place with their answers. And Peter finally steps up, and he's like, you're the Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's not his last name. You're welcome. And, and, it means Messiah, the coming one, the Savior. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, yes, Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. That was like, like on this day, and either it's on the same day, which would be fabulous, or it was a couple days later, Jesus tells because of I'm going to be the Messiah, I am the Messiah, you're, you're right, Peter, this is the idea, you're on to something, and actually it's men have not told you, you've got this from heaven. And, and, and then just a couple days later, Jesus prophesies, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Come here, come here, J-Dog, J-Dog, come here. Right, you, you, can't, you can't suffer and die. Like that, that's, that doesn't go with the plot. That, that's, not, that's not how heroes come. Heroes come in and, and they save the day. You save us, not get murdered by the Romans. That's not in the plan. And you know what? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Okay, I know you've had some bad days, 
but you've never been called Satan by Jesus, okay? That's a bad day, friends, all right? All right, there's some bad days. That's tip top of the list, Satan. You're like, what? He goes from Peter, flesh and blood of not revealed. I'm gonna call you Petros. I'm gonna call you rock. Peter, you got it. You're Satan. Like, what? He says, because your words are an offense to me. You have your own plans, your own schemes, but the story God is writing is so much bigger than the plot you can come up with, Peter. The story's so much more grand, and it has all this complex nature. C.S. Lewis said it this way, when people talk about the complexity of the Bible, when it talks about the story and the plot of God, that God would create humanity and he would give him free will and choice, but God yet is sovereign and in control and somehow he would make a creature who has these choices, but even in these choices would move in the plot in his story and man would go away from the author of life and do his own thing make his own way but God would always keep pursuing and loving him and wooing him and when man could not keep his end of the bargain God comes up with this grand plan that he'll become a man and keep man's end of the bargain for man and the wages that man has accrued for the wages of sin is death a curse that comes. And then the Bible tells us this story about Jesus, that Jesus comes and he says, I will suffer and die. The plot of the Bible tells us this is the, for the forgiveness of sin. Man, think about one day getting it right and the next day getting it wrong. Don't you feel like you're in good company right now? Right? Sometimes when we preach the stories, when we think Christianity is about you coming in and getting it right or pay the price. As if God's a mob boss in heaven. Like, listen, get it right. It's coitance for you, friend. Right? Like, like, we have this view of God that is small, especially when we talk about his sovereignty. Especially when we say God's in control. C.S. Lewis say this, that you could make up something more simple. All the, all the false religions, they're the simplistic ones. Oh, that's pretty good. It was from C.S. Lewis, so your face is supposed to melt out. That was amazing, right? Right? So you can make up something more simple. All the false ones are, are the simple ones. But the complexity of this, how we, re and when we talk about the complexity of God, it is in this particular way we think about it. See, we can look at this story of Abram, comes to a place after he leaves Egypt, after lying about his wife, he comes to a place and he has now gained all these possessions. God uses this mistake and actually endows him with all this stuff and these people. And he has groups and men and people. Later, we're going to read that he's actually going to take over 300 men and he's going to go and save Lot after he's captured. Somehow he's got 300 men. It says born in his house born in under his care, his people, his tribe. He, he, he's nomadic and they move around these tents and his nephew Lot are there together and they're starting to realize, man, we got a lot of people. God's, God's giving us blessing. There's a lot of people, but we're running out of chairs. Just tell you how that goes. 
uh, we're, we're running out. We're running out of space. I don't think. I don't think the land can hold them. So here's what Lot does. He he divides the land down the middle. I've even heard about people doing this with inheritance. Think about this. Think about it. you have all this land that you got, and, and you divide it down the middle, and then let your kinsmen choose. I mean, I've heard stories about people dividing their property and then allowing their, their, their sibling to choose which part of the land they would like. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Lot chooses, he, he, he says, let's divide it down the middle, but you get to choose, Lot. Lot looks up his eyes and he sees that the Jordan Valley is beautiful. Man, he, he uses his natural eyes to see and make his decisions. Abram is allowing the chips to f- fall wherever they may. What, a, what an interesting change in Abram's life from when he's trying to scheme and make sure everything goes his way in Egypt to where now he just trusts God and let the chips fall where they may. Lot chooses with his eyes. Abram says, I'll trust God, and he chooses with his heart. He allows himself to be generous. He he doesn't take for himself. He actually does what Jesus says. You want to be a great leader? Be the least. You want to be first? Then be last. See, this is a, a, a new concept. This is the nature of God, that God serves first. God works first. Think about even in the creative narrative, God's seventh day is Adam's first day. God works, 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 works. Adam and Eve rest. And God's seventh day is Adam's first day and Adam starts at rest. Why? Because in God's nature, he's serving. In God's nature, he is giving. In God's nature, he is putting himself in a position of Humility. This is the nature of God. So then it is the nature of the people of God. Sometimes we, we divide it and we scheme. We go, man, what if I get a bad deal out of this? What if this doesn't go my way? What, what if this doesn't work out for me? What if this goes against the will of God? As if anyone could somehow resist the will of God. God. See, here's what's fascinating to me is God tells Abram in the passage before that he will give him the land of Canaan. And in this transaction, in this contract that he makes with Lot, he actually gets the very land, even with Lot's choice, the very land that God had promised him. So even in him allowing Lot to choose, somehow it works out that he gets exactly what God told him he was already going to get. Now, that is a predicament, friends. Have you ever thought about this? Here's the problem. We can teach this and I can go, hey, you ought to be generous. And the answer to that is, good job. Rick, why is it always your section? right? How are you leading these people? Right? Like, right. We should be generous. We should put others first. 
These are all principles that we take from this text. When I told you when I started, the question of what do I preach from the passage, those are great things. I can give us tips and tricks and tools and say, you ought to be generous. Yes, you ought to put others first. We ought to be served. But the real question that somehow goes and transcends beyond is how does God work out human beings' choices and somehow moves all of us towards his will? Because that's the question that comes up for me. How did, how did Abram end up with the very land that God told him he was going to get, yet he let Lot choose? And it works out for Abram, goes bad for Lot. So what does it say about God? See, sometimes we have to wrestle with these questions. We have to wrestle with the tension of what does it mean? And see, sometimes we've moved away when we talk about in the church, we've moved away from a big view of God. I just say we have a high view. We have a high view of me. Let's let's try it this way. Uh, you like you, yes. And I know this to be true, and this is why Jesus says, "Love your neighbor like you love you," because. He already knows you love you. You're welcome, right? And, and, and so you're still not convinced. Okay, uh, when you take a group photo and someone shows it to you, who do you look for first? <laughs> Got him. Uh, right? We, we, we have a propensity to, to love ourselves, to look at ourselves, to have a high view of self. And in that, we have a low view of God. So then when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we think, man, I don't like that. I feel uncomfortable that God is somehow in control. And I don't have, I, I like my choices. I like what I'm doing. And I, I don't really, how does he, you know, uh, how, how do I allow him to choose? Let me, let me just say it this way. He, he chooses better than you do. Why? Because he's better than you. And that's, and that's good news. See, sometimes we get, we get for like, man, God, how do, you, how do you work this together? How do you, how do you how, I don't know. Here, here's an analogy that some people give. When, when I say God is writing a story, the Bible tells me he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. And in him, we live and move and have our being. In him is the light of men and he is the life of men. That he is our very being. Now, here's an analogy. You you ask the question when it comes to Hamlet, a speech from Hamlet. Is it Hamlet or is it Shakespeare? And here's the analogy. Hamlet gives a speech. He, he goes on these, these great monologues in this play. And you have to ask the question, well, is it Hamlet or is it Shakespeare? And, and the, the answer is it's 100% Hamlet and 100% Shakespeare. Now, now, follow me for the analogy just for a moment because there's some problems with it, right? And... And the first problem is that we go, well, I'm not like Hamlet. 
I'm not written into a story. I'm not a fictional person. I'm not a 2D figure off a page. I have feelings and emotions. I'm a self-aware being. I have sovereign choices. I make my own decisions. And so your first thing is that you believe you are greater than Hamlet. Yes? We all agree we're greater than Hamlet. God is greater than Shakespeare. God is bigger. See, very quickly when we talk about an analogy or we try to give an example of how God somehow is writing this story, we quickly go, well, I'm not like Hamlet. And, but you also have to agree God is not like Shakespeare. And, and so God somehow in his sovereignty is writing something that's bigger than two-dimensional. Somehow he is creating 3D beings that actually have will and emotions and decisions. Somehow he is great enough to write a story that factors in with people's free will and choices and drawing a line down the middle and saying, all right, you choose. And somehow he's able to take the sweet and the savory. He he's, takes the salty and the goodies and the treats and all the joy and all the peace and all the suffering and all the sorrow and somehow he keeps molding it and shaping it and who am I the the clay to say to the potter that I have no need for thee are you greater than clay yes and he's greater than a potter but yet we are his creation being molded and made together for his purpose for his glory and for your good somebody say amen to that I don't know how it works. It's the mystery. It might be the first question we all get there. Like, how did you do that? Right? Like, how did you, how did you make those decisions? How did you, how did you move those together? How did you, how did you help me in that? See, uh, there, this passage brings for us like, okay, well then, what do I do? How do I, how do I know in those moments? How, how do I know? Have you ever asked the question, how do I know this is the will of God? Well, the, the, the first thing is that you actually ask that question. Like the, the fact that you're even going, yeah, man, I want to, I want to be in the will of God. I, I want to do what's righteous. I want to follow him. If you're asking that question, it, it's a good chance that you are in the will of God. Somebody say amen, amen. to that. If you're even asking that question, you know who doesn't ask that question? Those who do not have a concern for God. See, some of us, we have this, this idea that God's up there, like the commercial with the insurance guy, the old man with like the fishing pole with the dollar. It's like, huh? Almost got it, right? Like we think God is up in heaven. Here's his will and here's his blessing. And we're just trying to, we're just grasping. He's like, you almost, you almost were there. You know, you almost, you almost made the right choice. See, God is not malicious. God is good. See, all of these conversations begin to challenge. What do you believe about God and what do you believe about you? And if your view of God is small, then you have a poor view of God. It doesn't mean that you should not have self-esteem and self-awareness of who you are because 
in him, I'm a new creation and old things have passed away and I can hold my head high that I'm forgiven and God has chosen me and adopted me and I'm his child because he's good. See, here's this fascinating thing that you need to realize is profoundly theological. You're probably gonna write this down. God does not save you because you are awesome. God saves you because he's awesome. That's good news. Why does he choose? Because he loves you. He saw your mess and he pulls you out of them. See, here's what we even see with Abram. That, that Lot chooses and Lot goes in the next chapter and gets himself in trouble. He plants his tent near sinful men and sin takes him captive. And he finds himself in a war, in a battle, in the middle of violence and he's taken captive. But what does Abram do? Even though Lot's chosen his lot. See where we get that from, right? Whoa, <laughs> that's your lot in life. Anyways, uh, and, uh, and yet he chooses. And then what does Abram do? Abram goes after him. See, here's what you can know about God is even when you make your choice and you make some bad decisions, God still comes after you. He, he still pursues you. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He puts everything in. He, he, he unapologetically and relentlessly pursues us. The Bible says that even if I make my bed in, in Sheol, even if I make it in the lower regions of the earth, even if I make my bed in hell, there you will be also. Lot finds himself near Sodom and yet Abram goes like Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ, where in the chapter before he wouldn't lay down his life for his wife. And somehow something grips Abram's heart and he goes, no, this is righteous. I'm to do what God would do and I'm to lay down my life and pursue my family. All of a sudden, you, Abram sees the connection between great nations and good families. He didn't see the connection before. Now he goes, no, 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 this is my family and I'll pursue after him the way Christ pursues us. See, I don't know how God works these things together, but I wanna give you maybe some practical ways that you can think about asking the question, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do when I choose? When I, well, the first thing you have to realize is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, sometimes we deduce God into someone who's like us with our personality. And instead of seeing God for who he is, and when I see God for who he is, it will bring the fear of the Lord, a, a reverence. See, we've even tried to deduce that down and remove the word fear, but fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there is a fear, if there is a reverence, if there's a respect, if there's caution before you do something, it should be God. God should be the start. Proverbs says it this way. It says, in every way, acknowledge him. Lean not to your own understanding, but in everything, look to God and he will direct your paths. And that's, that's the start. And it starts with you going, God, I'm not, I don't have, not fear of your neighbor, 
Not fear of what your friends will think. Not fear what, what will they think. Not fear of what society will do. Fear of God who creates all things, holds all things, and is above all things. And in him is my life. You start with God. You know, if I'm making the right decision, did you start by saying, God, what is this? And then somehow he makes you know. Because years ago I was getting ready to preach and I was talking about prayer and like hearing from God. And, and, and my son Judah, who's nine, who's, who was then maybe like, maybe like five and just young enough to freak you out. You know what I mean? Like, what'd you say, boy? He, he was laying on the couch and, and he was kind of like mom had moved him from in his room to the couch. We're trying to wrestle him up for church, right? Because that's a thing, right? Yeah, got to do it in stages, right? Let's get him. Wake up. All right, you're, you're alive. You're in the world. And they're like, what day is it? You know, like middle of the week, my daughter's always like, is it church day? Right. <laughs> Right? And hopefully it's not, not again, you know? <laughs> like, and, and yet, he, he's laying on the couch and he's got his head like up against the, the armrest. And he, uh, when I go to walk out by the door, I have a really long commute from where I live to, to work. And, and I, I went to open the door and he just kind of like wakes up and like dead eye looks at me. <laughs> He's like, hey, bud. He's like, dad. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know how you can't hear God when he talks? I was like, yeah. Knowing what my sermon was about that day. He's like, yeah, you know how you can't hear God when he talks, but he makes you know. He's <laughs> like, okay, buddy. Just go back to sleep. Right? And then you remember passages that says, out of the mouths of children, his word will be established. Like, I'm, I'm having to judge my experience based on the scripture. Like, well, why did he say that? Where did he get that? And that sounds right. He makes you know. You ever had those decisions, those things in life? And you just know, you may ignore it. Every red flag, don't buy the car. You buy the car. <laughs> like all of them, you're just like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I want to, you know, because it looks pleasing to the eye. Jordan Valley, it's beautiful. Water, this. See, sometimes what we're doing is we're constantly making our decisions like Lot with our eyes and not with the heart that God has placed in you where he makes you know from the inner parts of your being. You just know that you know that you know. You ask the question, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to follow you and you're gonna make me know. And I'm gonna test it and I'm gonna put other people around me to help me confirm that. I'm not gonna be an island to myself where I'm just like, I know everything about you don't. With that knowing is that undergirded by that fear of the Lord. And let me tell you, when you feel like the God of the universe has spoken to you, it will bring a holy fear and reverence over you. And you go, I can't make any other decision. 
Remember what it was like when Sarah and I made the trek from Kentucky. For those of you who don't know, I'm not from around here, all right? Yet we made this decision. We'd been married for a couple years and we were youth pastoring at this little church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky in a mega church out of Visalia, the great land of Visalia, had called us up and wanted us to move. We'd never even been to California. We'd owned our home. We just bought a house. First time home buyers, we bought our house. We lived in this house as the smallest house in the nicest neighborhood. Man, we were, it was so great. When we got this house, I'm, I'm like saving money. I own a house and we don't make any money. And uh, like I was a youth pastor, all right? Tip your youth pastor, okay? All right? And, and, and yet, uh, I mean, we didn't make any money, but we owned a house. And our parents were like, man, they're here. They're not going anywhere. They own a house. And six months after we bought the house, we're like, hey, we're moving to California. They're like, where? (laughs) Moving where? You've never been to California. I can remember, just give you some experience. And I try not to tell hero stories because this isn't about me, but how we made this decision and how I began to learn how to make decisions is... This fear of the Lord thing is what brings faith. When you, it's like when, when you have a reverence for something, you look at it. You can't turn away from it. You're fixated by it. That's why we go stand at the vastness of the Grand Canyon and we wonder, oh man, this is, this is scary. I want to get too close to the edge. This is scary. I want to know more about it. I want to get closer to it. That's why we as human beings plunge the depths of the oceans. We try to, uh, to, uh, to explore the expanses of the sky. What? causes us fear it also causes wonder that is the invisible qualities of God hidden in creation causing us to go God you are great and yet there's this fear of the Lord that brings faith because faith is a view of God when you see God faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God my faith grows faith is something that happens you put yourself in the presence of God And then there's the fear of the enemy. There's two types of fear here. Fear that causes faith and fear that causes cowardness and a lack of trust. See, when I think about decisions, let me tell you, moving across the country, going to a place I'd never been, to a church I'd never been to, making a big decision. See, sometimes that's when we go, man, God, I I got this promotion. I don't know if I'm supposed to leave this area. There's this house over here. Should we sell this? Should we do this? Should I take this job? Should I change? Like we're all asking those questions. That's what the day-to-day grind is. And we're going, God, I don't know what to do. Well, let me ask you, does it bring faith or fear? Do I acknowledge God? And does it cause me to go, man, this might be a very difficult thing, but I think he'll be with me in this how do I make these decisions I begin to trust God I love God and then I do what I want great theologian said this you want to know how to be in the will of God love God trust God and then do whatever you want you go how does that work the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. 
If your delight is the Lord, then your desire is the Lord and he will never keep himself from you. The answer is always Delight yourself in the Lord and he will be with you. He, no matter what decision you make, no matter where you find yourself, man, you love God, put him first, fear him because he is wonderful. And then do whatever your heart leads you to do because your heart is found in him. What do we do? Love God, trust him. And then live the life God's called you to live. That will be contagious. That will be something that people will stand and look in awe and they'll go, man, why do you guys, you, you people are weird. You guys have hope when other people don't. You're doing difficult things, but you seem to be courageous as if someone's going to be there to help you. You're doing things like, no, 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 you're not even taking the easy route with your decision, but it seems like somehow you're excited about the difficult road. What's wrong with you people? What's testing of faith produces something beautiful for the world to see because you are his ambassadors. So everywhere you go, you carry the aroma of Christ. Where you go, smells like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. You're greater than Shakespeare. And we're happy to be your creations. And we ask you to write a better story in us and through us. The story God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on, friend. He's writing a grand story with his church and you have a part to play. And he uses our choices, our mistakes, our flaws. And somehow he takes us as human beings and he uses us, handcrafts us in order to do good works prepared in advance. So God, I pray for those who are making difficult decisions right now. I thank you for those who are contemplating big moves, big changes. Those who are wrestling with the next step. I pray that you would be at the center of it. That a fear and reverence of you would be firsthand. And it would create awe and wonder and faith and confidence in who you are. Let us be led by faith and not by fear. For your glory and the good. Maybe there's someone here today and you go, man, I want to follow Jesus. You go, man, I want to be a part of this Jesus thing. I want this new life. Friend, take that one step towards the person of Jesus. It's not a magical prayer that you pray. It's a trust in your heart. It's an acknowledgement. It's a first things first. He's God, I'm not. I'm a sinner, he's a savior. That's good news. He died for me so I could live for him. That's the start, friend. Repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, trust God, and then do what you want. I thank you for every person maybe making that step, that decision. The greatest decision they could make is what do they think about God? 
and then move towards them when they realize Jesus is our God and Savior. I thank you. I praise you for everything you're doing and yet to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?